Are you considering layering in subscription e-commerce into your existing e-commerce business or starting up a subscription e-commerce business? If your answer is yes to both or either questions, then listen into this episode. We'll be talking about the ideal products for subscription commerce, key metrics for your subscription e-commerce like customer lifetime value, churn rate, and cost cost per acquisition, and why subscription e-commerce is such a hot topic right now in e-commerce. So stay tuned. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show, where we interview founders of fast-growing seven and eight-figure e-commerce businesses and e-commerce experts. They'll tell their stories, share how they 2X their businesses, and inspire you to take action in your own online retail business today. And now, here he is, the man in the mix, Kunle Campbell. Hi, 2Xers. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show. I'm your host, Kunle Campbell, and this is the podcast where I interview e-commerce entrepreneurs and online marketing experts who will help uncover your questions and help you guide you with tactics and perhaps strategies to grow your online stores. So if you're looking to double metrics such as e-commerce, such as average order value, conversions, repeat customers, traffic, and ultimately sales, you're in the right place. Okay, so on today's show, I have with me Craig Votnik. He's the co-founder of Cleverbridge a global e-commerce and subscription provider that powers over 300 corporations worldwide, large organizations. Craig's an internet tech veteran with his expertise dating back to 1995, where he was part of a team at the Chicago Tribune newspaper that launched their website. Um, He's worked um, in e-commerce, advertising, and the financial services services industry, and he's got a degree in nuclear engineering, so he's a very clever chap. He's going to be talking to us about subscription e-commerce and how it's sort of gone mainstream and why its predictability and recurring revenue stream makes, makes it such a desirable model. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Craig to the show. Craig, hi there. Hi, Kunli. Great to talk to you today. Fantastic. Could you take a minute or two to tell us more about yourself? Sure. Well, I think you hit on the the main points, which are that, you know, I've been doing internet technology for quite a while, about the last 20 years. I love what I do on a daily basis, working on the internet, helping businesses generate revenue. And, you know, although I have a degree in nuclear engineering, it does not necessarily mean I'm an intelligent chap in any way, shape, or form. So let's get that out there right now. (laughs) (laughs) I like it being modest, as usual. Okay, um, right. Um, I'm quite excited to talk about some subscription e-commerce just because of the phenomenal growth, you know, over the last five years to like Gen 3 e-commerce businesses in general. And yeah, I'm I'm really excited. And um, before we go into questions, um, could you tell our listeners about Cleverbridge, you know, when it was founded and, um, you know, the kind of things you do at Cleverbridge? Sure. Yeah, it's really interesting because, you know, as you talk about e-commerce, you know, and subscription being sort of generation three, uh, we've seen it go from generation one to today, generation three. You know, Cleverbridge was started in 2005, yeah. but the roots of it begin in the late 90s where some of my partners started working for a company called Element 5. And we all came from 
the e-commerce industry of the late 90s. So we went mm. through the whole dot-com bust. I started working for this company called Element 5 in about 2002. That company was based in Cologne, Germany, where my partners are. And mm. so that's how I got to know them. That company was sold in 2004. And that company was also a very much an e-commerce-focused company for the software space. So we saw the the change of buying habits and and user habits going to a store to buy software you know they were then doing it online and mm. doing it over you know as the the bandwidth sped up people were downloading the software directly and we saw that that sort of whole change so what happened was when we started cleverbridge in 2005 we just said we can do this better we've got ideas on how to improve e-commerce particularly focusing on mid-tier to enterprise level companies and you know, we, we bootstrapped the company from the beginning, put our own money in. We started with seven uh, people from Element 5 that left and started Cleverbridge together. And within two years, we were already profitable. And then today have 300 people across three different continents, 180 in Cologne, Germany, 100 in Chicago, and 10 in Tokyo. And what we're seeing now in the last couple of years is a, a change that is similar to what we saw back in the early 2000s, where companies went from the perspective and the mentality of U.S. dollar English language credit card for e-commerce to more, much more of a global perspective and wanting payment methods, wanting currencies, you know, understanding that it matters to cater to the local customer as opposed to having a one-size-fits-all approach. And what's happening nowadays in the subscription world, or let's say the subscription commerce world, is that people are, are saying it's no longer important to just have a product that you release on a regular basis and then have to convince people to pay for it. You now have this distribution mechanism of a cloud product that you can distribute your product through the cloud when it makes sense. And in return, you're getting a recurring, reliable revenue stream. And that is the subscription commerce model. Okay, so how do you plug in to eTel. So from what, I can, from, from what I've picked up from there, which is pretty exciting, um, the growth. And, you know, when you started, the fact that you bootstrapped from seven mm-hmm. to th- close to 300, you said, or over 200? Uh, close to 300. Close to 300. And it's, it's a phenomenal story. But what, what I'm gathering now here is your subscription business for largely SAS, SaaS, SAS, SaaS, um, software as a service companies. Mm-hmm. Is, is that correct? Yes. What I've noticed is the concept of subscription on SaaS businesses has sort of replicated itself or crept into e-commerce over the last five to six years. So we're, we're going to, in essence, this conversation really is getting down to those fundamentals and, and seeing how those fundamentals can be applied to e-commerce going forward. Okay. Right. Fantastic. Um, so going into subscription commerce, it's, it's nothing new. And um, we've had, you know, milk delivery and, um, you know, magazine subscriptions. Sure. Um, how has it evolved um, from, from, from its beginnings, from, from such humble beginnings to digital world with SaaS companies as well, you know, as e-commerce? Yeah, I think it's a great question, Kunli. Um, I think what happened was that well, for the, the platform had to be available, right? So the ability – people were looking for value in their products. And what was happening – what we saw in the, let's say, mid to late 2000s is a lot of companies would say, you know, I, my business is doing well. However, 
there's this new thing, right? There's this new way to deliver my software product through the cloud. Salesforce.com did, was really the, the leader in this for, for a long time. And I think that that's where a lot of people got the idea that, you know what, maybe I should be delivering my product through the cloud. It's reliable enough. Consumers want it. They trust that the product can be delivered that way. And so it became, you know what, maybe I should deliver my product through the cloud because I can then charge customers on a monthly basis. And so it was more, I would say, opportunistic and taking advantage of what was happening in the in the computing world and, and really the internet from that perspective for why companies are really gravitating towards the subscription model now and why you hear so much about subscription commerce. What happened the last, let's say, three or four years is as people realized that subscription commerce was so important and, well, let's say, very valuable because you're getting a, a re- reliable revenue stream in, they then said, let's take this concept and try to apply it to the retail space. So that's when you, you saw things like you know, Mystery Tackle Box and Birch Box and you know, Dollar Shave Club, these kinds of companies coming along and saying, you know what, I want to take that concept of subscription commerce and i.e. reliable revenue stream and apply it to my business to try to create a new business that will uh, disrupt the existing entrenched players. It's very, very, very interesting. So broadband really triggered this in, in the, the mid-early 2000s, the, yep. just the proliferation of, of high-speed internet and, you know, um, well, softwares. Software in general could then be delivered on the internet reliably and securely. And, you know, why not just create this as a service? And um, that sort of been taken into retail. That's quite interesting. So what are your thoughts on the current um, state of subscription e-commerce you know the, the the marketplace in general now is there still opportunity in, in subscription e-commerce or do you think we're, we're hitting saturation point everyone's talking about it and they have been for a little bit of time now you know it's right. called the last few years i remember about four years ago we had an event where we did a a panel discussion about moving your business to the cloud, so going from a download product to a a cloud-hosted product, Mm -hmm. which embedded in that discussion was subscription commerce. And that was really early. A lot of people were still like, well, why would I want to do that? And I don't believe that it's really sort of there and and the the platform is not really available for it yet. And nowadays, everybody's talking about it. So it's got a lot of buzz. Mm -hmm. And what, what we're seeing is that especially over the last few years, certain businesses have been completely disrupted by the subscription commerce model, Mm. which is that a product can be delivered in a subscription way through the cloud as opposed to a download product. But everybody's talking about it and everybody is trying to find a solution where they can implement the subscription commerce model, but it does not apply to all businesses. Mm. So I think that the, the Dollar Shave Club is a kind of a good example where that might work where you're instead of paying, you know, let's call it 15 or $20 for a pack of razors, you're able to pay $1 a month or $3 a month in order to get a similar quality razor delivered to you through the mail. There's the convenience aspect, mm-hmm. but it's also a lower price. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of cases, that, that model does not – a subscription commerce model just doesn't really make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I'll give you another example where I believe that there's a creative aspect here – where if a business already has their product, they can be creative to implement a subscription commerce model without necessarily having to change their product. Mm. And, and the example I, I thought of was um, 
heating and air conditioning, you know, the mechanical equipment you have in your house. Mm. So for the last 50 years, you know, you've got these guys running around and they come out and they fix the problem when it arises, mm. right? So your, your heat goes out, you call the serviceman, the serviceman comes to your, your door, they fix the problem, they go away, you don't have any necessary relationship with them until the next time you have a problem. Mm. And over the last five to 10 years, I've noticed that the, the mechanical equipment companies are now calling me on a regular basis saying, hey, how about you sign up for this service contract? And it's a three-year contract. You know, it gives you the ability to have regular maintenance on your product and you, know, you get a discount for doing it. So I'm trying to incent you to do it, Mr. Customer. But in return, what that company is really getting is reliable revenue coming in and they're not changing their original product they're simply adding in a a different angle to it mm, almost like a retainer contract yeah in and, a way and, a retainer and, and, and do you do you pay um for, for for parts or is it just purely on 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 their service it, yeah you that's just the service component it's mm. guaranteed they'll come out and and look at your equipment every two years or sorry twice a year but then, of course, if they find a problem, you're going to pay for the, the parts anyway. So they're locking you in as a customer to be using them for the next few years. And then you're going to still pay whatever price they have for that part if I, you have a problem. I love the predictability from, from that perspective. Yeah. Okay. Coming back to e-commerce, well, what kind of products make, will make an ideal candidate for subscription e-commerce? What we've seen is that companies that have products where they're providing a service on a recurring basis or a regular continual basis. Those are the ones that have the best chance of successfully getting their customers to pay them in a subscription commerce model. I'll give you an example. In, in the software space, you know, you'll have a, um, you know, antivirus and anti-malware products. Mm-hmm. Those companies are protecting your computer on a daily basis, right? On an hourly basis. Mm-hmm. So those products are doing a job on a regular basis. Therefore, and by the way, updates are provided to that software every single day, that's a situation where the company providing that product is, has been for a while saying, you know what, we're providing a service on a regular basis rather than the customer paying only when we provide a new version of the product. Since we're providing that service of the new virus and malware definitions on a daily basis, the customer should be paying us in a subscription model. And that's one that's worked. So companies are paying, are, are providing a service on a regular basis. You should be able to charge in a subscription model. I think that, you know, the maintenance aspect, like we talked about with sort of the mechanical, that also applies in software and particularly on the enterprise where companies like VMware, I'll take as an example, that's a client of ours. And they're, they sell, you know, millions and billions of dollars a year of of virtualization software. Mm. But they also have maintenance contracts that come with that. So when you're in an enterprise, right, you, as Cleverbridge, if we were buying the VMware software, we're not experts on their product. Mm -hmm. So we want the ability to call and get support on an as-needed basis going forward. So that's why you sign up for a maintenance contract for like with VMware. And so in that scenario, the product itself the VMware virtualization product is not a subscription, but the maintenance component is. Mm. And so that's a, another example where you're signing up for a subscription or you should be and can be signing up for a subscription for maintenance rather than, let's say, 10 years ago where companies would say, you know, how about buy this maintenance? 
it's for one year and here's the price. Mm. And then what happens is the next year you got to go back to them and try and get them to sign up again for it. Mm. So signing up for a subscription maintenance basically implies you're signing up on a recurring basis until you cancel. And so that that's a much better way to go. Uh, I see I see this applied in um, for e-commerce retailers that sell appliances, for instance, say mm-hmm. washing machines, fridges. So at the moment the warranty expires, they could, since they've had that relationship with, with their customers, they could potentially offer subscriptions subscriptions to for, for maintenance for, for those devices which they which they've purchased. Same with computers too, you know, retailers of computers. It's certainly yeah. a very interesting, you know, area to, to for, for potential revenue. Okay. And and one other thing I would say, Kunli, is that and this is kind of interesting, if you think about your existing business you may not have a, a, a subscription commerce play. But if you essentially think about disrupting yourself, you may have a, a, a subscription commerce play that's much bigger than what you're doing. So I'll give you an example. Um, Ten years ago, it was popular for people to buy FTP software. Mm-hmm. People would buy FTP software because it was so difficult to transfer files back and forth between two people that wanted to do it, right? Mm-hmm. You would buy a client, you have the client on your computer, and then you would post it to a server. The other person who wanted to receive it would have to have the same, well, would have to have some FTP software. They could log into the server to download it. Now, or let's say five years ago, all of these companies like you send it, send space, they all came up and they started allowing people to send these simple links back and forth so that you could just you know, upload a file. You don't have to know any passwords or anything. You just upload it. A link gets sent to the recipient, they click the link, it gets downloaded to their computer. The need for an FTP client basically went away. Now, not completely, but you know, for the most part, the consumer aspect of this went away completely mm-hmm. and was disrupted by these new companies. If those FTP client companies that focused on consumers had said, you know what, because the technology is better we're now going to apply a, uh, you know, we're going to think about how we can disrupt ourselves or how somebody else might disrupt us. You know, we should be trying to, to implement these solutions ourselves before somebody else does. Don't protect your cash cow if there's a risk of you being disrupted. You may as well do it to yourself before somebody else does it to you. Absolutely. And there is always a risk. You know? <laughs> yeah. There's always a risk of disruption. So that's very, very, I love when you said disrupt yourself because I, yeah, that concept has been said over and over again, but people don't really realize it. And you know, subscription could offer that exit, that, that you know, that that new avenue for for disruption. Okay, good stuff. Um, should should the motivation and you know value proposition of subscription e-commerce retailers um be based on price and convenience only? So you know um. When you're thinking about going or starting up, um, starting up a, a subscription e-commerce business, should you really think about um, price and convenience only, or what do you think about value, or you know, bringing a different experience or expertise to? Because I'm seeing two types of subscription commerce, you know, models starting to emerge. Um, and one end of the spectrum is really price and convenience, on one end of the spectrum, and the other end is more experts you know or thinking about um who are these guys again um grace.com in the uk or healthybox.com and what they do pretty much is they curate healthy snacks 
and um, provide it and surprise and delight their customers on a regular basis. And customers basically trust their expertise. And it's different. You know, it's different from the rest of the market. What do you think about convenience and, uh, and price versus um, value on the other end of the spectrum? Should we go for one or the other? Or do you think there's, there's space for, for both, um, both types of um, subscription going forward? You know, especially from a retail perspective, I think that price and con- convenience is a big part of it, right? Mm-hmm. You're basically saying, hey, sign up for this thing so that you can receive it automatically to your door. And oh, hey, maybe sometimes, by the way, it's also cheaper. So I think that that works because you're dealing with physical products, brand new, you know, things that have to kind of get moved around. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, and, and there's that convenience aspect. You don't have to go to the store. In the digital world, we see a lot more focus on value because people are, you know, there's already, the convenience isn't really an issue. People are able to get the product. There is a convenience aspect to a certain extent, but it's more in the delivery mechanism of a download product versus a cloud product. Mm. And so what companies in the digital space are doing is they're saying, I'm going to take advantage of the fact that the distribution of my product is easier it's no longer download or I'm moving from download to cloud or a, yeah, a cloud delivery model. They're taking advantage of that to implement a subscription model or subscription commerce at that time. And an example of this is Adobe. Adobe went and did a major transformation of their business from, you know, a you buy the product based on the version that's released. And so again, Adobe was having to convince people to con- to buy the latest version every year. Now they move to this subscription commerce model where they basically say, you know what? The value of our product is so great that you're going to pay for it on a monthly basis and we're going to continue to update it, but you're subscribing to our service, our product, which is actually delivered as a service, and that's, you know, that's more important than uh having to price point discussion mm-hmm. or or convenience. And there is an aspect of convenience there, though, which is you no longer have to deal with installation of the product, updates of the product on your own computer. It's all done through the cloud. It's all done behind the scenes. So there's in the digital world, there's some inherent, let's say, benefit and, and subtly, you know, the convenience is actually, there is a, a component of the value that is convenience, but that's not, what, not what's driving people's decisions. So I guess you reduce supplier fatigue if there's value constantly driven in, in your subscription model. Yeah. I mean, it's easy for people to just stay subscribed, hmm. right? Once they get onto something, once they start using that product, it's very easy to keep using it. So this gets into some of the metrics of what's the right price point and how do you look at that in order to make sure that you're, you know, because Adobe went from, let's say, I don't know, fifteen, seventeen hundred $1,700 for their suite down to, I don't know what it was, $40, $50 per month maybe $100 per month. So, you know, when do they get the same amount? You know, what's the break-even point that a customer has to be with them before they're actually, you know, losing money by switching to a subscription model? I think it would be like 12 to 15 months. The nice thing about it, though, is, um, you know, they, they, they had a proof of concept from their, their initial downloadable, you know, software. Mm-hmm. And it was um, probably representative of people who, you know, would buy the upgraded version of the software. So they kind of had a rough ballpark figure on 
on numbers yeah. before they, they, they moved on to, to some, perhaps it was like maybe 60% of, you know, people actually moved to the next version. So, you know, we could turn this into a subscription business. And I think in, in retail, retailers who are quite used to selling on a regular basis, I interviewed um, the sockshop.co.uk. Um, they sell socks. They're the biggest retailers of online retailers of socks in the UK. And um, just last week, I was on a US site and um, I saw socks subscriptions. And mm-hmm. they had two two options. One was, I um, can't quite remember the, the brand, but one was, um, one option was, the boring option, which I think they, they, they labeled it somewhere, where it's like a fixed style of socks on a regular basis when they wear out. I think it's every month or every two months. And the other was a surprise and delight, where they give you all sorts of colorful socks to make you look like the, you know, to have the cool, coolest <laughs> sock collection in the block. So they were obviously trying to target a, a very young demographic. And um, it worked. It, it, I hope it works. But um, yeah, so, so I guess retailers should start thinking about, you know, if your products actually qualify for, you know, something that um, that actually can be gotten on a regular basis, then, you know, um, perhaps now might be the time to test your market to, to move or to test, you know, subscription model of sorts. I'm not quite sure. Amazon do it. Um, I've noticed a subscribe button in the grocery section. And um, I think just last week, um, Amazon released a, a dash button for consumables. So when you apparently run out of... Um, washing up liquid you could press a button and then they send it through to you it's reducing friction i i guess um friction um, but, yes. well it, one point i would make on this and you know it's more on the retail side so your company shouldn't um just look at their product and say you know my product is wrong i have to change my product in order to do subscription commerce a good example of this where they basically are layering on subscription commerce on top of their existing product or thinking about it in a creative new way is REI. Mm. They're a sporting goods kind of outdoor gear company here in the US and I remember going in there a few years ago and they had a, a when you went and bought something at the checkout point said do you want to become a member of the REI club whatever it is. And I thought, okay, well, what is this? Why do I want to become a member? Well, for $20, and I think it was $20 a year, but maybe it was just one time, $20, I was able to get you know, discounts on an annual basis. You know, they would send me mm-hmm. offers all the time. I would be part of special promotions that happen in the store. You know, I would get invited to things. So that $20 subscription could result in me getting you know it made me feel special for mm-hmm. one thing but then i was also able to save money if i shopped in in any sort of regular fashion with with rei so it could drive foot traffic back into the store by simply mm-hmm. layering on a subscription commerce product on top of the normal product that they offer funny thing you you mentioned club you know joining the club language is quite important especially client facing language you know consumer language um there's there's another um there's a brand here called naked wines which i was meant to interview the the founder of naked wines um the the fast growth they're actually in the u.s now and um they create a wine club where people subscribe to to get in you know cases of wine on a regular basis with them and um it's it it is a club you know join actually they they don't even refer it as club they they refer it to the members as um as angel investors <laughs> surprisingly to because um their value That's prop right. <laughs> the value prop really is um the fact that um you know wines the wines they get um help small vineyards so they're not you know sourcing from from the bigger ones and um, they they go into really niche 
growing so that actually your money actually helps grow businesses you know in, in both in the new world really from south africa new zealand and you know south america and it, it, it tends to work they're really fast growing they're they're, uh, they're they're an eight figure going to to nine figure business actually eight figures okay wow, yeah. um so how important should retailers take the concept of discovery in subscription commerce so, so um, by this i i mean um where they don't exactly know what's coming in on a regular basis, but they trust your judgment. Um, an example would be graze.com. You know you're going to get healthy food coming into your you know, your door every week or every month, but you know you, you leave it to them to, to curate. Is, what do you think, you know, how important is it to, if people are considering moving into subscription commerce? Well, I think discovery is a great way of starting and seeing if there's you know demand for a particular new service or product like that. I mean, I know there are numerous companies. There's a company here in Chicago called Trunk Club that was recently sold to Bloomingdale's for $300 million. I don't know if it was specifically subscription. I think it was because it was basically helping. It was like the private buyer for men's clothing, and they mm. would essentially every month send you new shirts, right? They, they would do, handpick them and do all that. So Bloomingdale spent a lot of money on that. Mm. That to me sounds like discovery. Mm. And I think there are new businesses like that popping up. I think it's in vogue right now. You also could think about um, discovery from the perspective of the meals side. I know, again, in, in the U.S., in particular in Chicago, there's quite a bit of this where there are companies that are popping up saying, hey, we're going to send you two meals a week or three meals a week. Subscribe to this service and we'll provide you these healthy options. Mm. And it's it's actually quite popular right now. So I think the discovery aspect is, I think it has legs, much like the daily deals did from you know six, seven years ago where maybe people thought it wouldn't last. It's lasted, mm. maybe not as sort of, it's not as sexy as it used to be, but it's lasted. And I think that discovery will also continue to last. From a bootstrap standpoint or from a funded standpoint? standpoint? I think both. Okay. It depends on the business, you know. If you get the right entrepreneur and you you have the right um, you have the right product, you're going to be successful. Mm-hmm. So you know if, whether it's discovery or not, it it should be successful. Interesting, very very interesting. Um, how would you describe the effect created by having a brand in front of a customer on a repeat basis, uh, not, not a one off, from subscription? Yeah. So so um you know they expect to see your product on a, on a monthly basis, what, what effect? Does it have an, a halo effect in, in, in a way? Is, is that an advantage in, in subscription e-commerce? Well, uh, let's put it this way. I would say it's probably a double-edged sword mm. because on the one hand, if you're getting a product from somebody every month, that's great, right? You know, you see the brand. When you look at your credit card statement and you see the price, you might not be so happy. And then what happens if the product itself misses the mark for some reason? or the quality deteriorates, all of a sudden, you're front and center every single month, and it becomes very easy then to cancel. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I'm painting, let's say, a a darker picture just to illustrate the point that it's a double-edged sword. But in reality, I think if you were to kind of weigh these, I'd say, of course, it's the the value, the benefit is much greater than the, the risk by being in front of a customer every month. So I guess it's it's a question of value. So if the value is there then then yeah. you know it works but <laughs> as you said if it's if it's it if it starts to to depreciate then you know it's it's yeah. a question of value again you know you're not worth it or 
And interestingly enough, I would say if the value is there and if it's if you have a lot of value, you're actually able to increase your price. Mm-hmm. Right? So you're going to be looking at your data to go, if my churn rate is so low, uh, I'm probably underpricing my product. Okay, let, we're going to talk about churn rate. Just hang on. But okay. just go, sticking to, connecting back to the last question, what's, what's your thoughts on monthly payments versus annual payments with, with a discount, like a 10 or 20% discount? What, what are you seeing from, from, from your business? Yeah, so in our business, the people are primarily moving to monthly because they're providing a product that... Um, they're providing enough value on a monthly basis and they're providing their product through the cloud. The customer is using it every week, if not every day. Therefore, a monthly billing model makes a lot of sense. The only time that that doesn't make a lot of sense is when you're really charging such a small amount that the costs of charging that amount and pay and managing those customers and all the billing issues that come up around it it's just not worth it. And I would say that that number is, you know, generally under $10 a month. It's probably better mm-hmm. to move to a quarterly or an annual plan. If you look at Dropbox, you know, they, I know they have a $99 a month plan. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there are some companies that are trying the, you know, $9.99 or even $4.99 a month, but mm-hmm. you, you, your costs get eaten up. There, there's the costs eat up quite a bit of that, that profit there. So it's just, you know, it just it's the the price point. Yeah, I just tend to pay, you know, year down for services like Dropbox or Evernote, because I, you know, to to the bookkeeping isn't worth it in terms of the time, yes. you know, trying to to track you know those expenses. Now the downside, though, of doing it that way is as if I'm Dropbox, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, I've got the money up front. I give gave you a discount. However, I'm not in your consciousness from a billing perspective every single month. Mm -hmm. And so a year from now, it might be a little bit of a, you might have a higher churn rate because people are like, oh yeah, I forgot Mm -hmm. I have to pay for this and Mm -hmm. it's $99. Do I really need this? Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, just, it's a balance. You're Mm -hmm. not, there's no one right answer, but it's a balance. Mm -hmm. Relative to to circumstances, really. Okay. um, Let's talk about um, the most important metrics to, to constantly measure for a subscription business and then we can connect that to, to, to retail. Um, so what's top? So if, if you were, you know, in the front seats, driver's seats of a, of a subscription business, what metrics would you be looking at to drive your business? Yeah, the, I mean, the two most important metrics to me are churn, which is the percentage of people that leave your, you know, that, that cancel mm-hmm. your products, um, you know, cancel your product on an annual basis and also customer lifetime value because mm-hmm. when you start to look at how much how valuable is that customer to you over the course of their lifetime you start to really have a different appreciation for what it is that you're doing as a business mm-hmm. and why or how you're spending money to acquire new customers mm-hmm. because what we've seen with some companies is that they they don't really appreciate the difference or let's say the competing aspects of customer lifetime value and conversion rate in the cart mm-hmm. they basically say you know what i'm looking for the highest conversion rate possible in the cart this is a very one time billing mentality mm-hmm. and what happens is you may be spending a lot of money to acquire customers 
right, to get them to actually open their wallet for you. Mm-hmm. When in reality, you may be spending money, let's call it maybe the ROI on that money spent, let's say on, on AdWords, for example, is you know, uh, $1.50 for every dollar you're spending. Mm-hmm. So you get that $1.50, but the real net is $0.50. Cents, and the, it turns out that the cu- those particular customers that you acquired and had a much higher conversion rate in the cart because of it, turn out to have a lot more questions. They don't use the product as as much. And basically, they churn out very quickly. Mm. And so if your churn rate starts to get you know beyond the single-digit percentage point range, you're running into a real problem with your business. Or let's say it at least shows you that you've got some things you should be doing in order to have your business be as efficient as possible. Mm. And so that's where you start getting into lifetime value. If you're basically saying lifetime value of, a, of my customers is the most important thing, which it should be, in my opinion, in a subscription uh, commerce model, then you want to basically have those customers paying you for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. And if you're signing up a bunch of people that are canceling after one or two months or, or after the first year, that's defeating the purpose because you're spending most likely a lot more money to acquire those bad customers mm-hmm. Than you're getting in the long run. So as a business, you could be much more efficient by not spending that money and acquiring bad customers. Very, very good answer. I have a question about CLV for a startup company. How? What's a good benchmark for? Because there's no visibility or history and any figures to look back on. How do yeah. you calculate CLV? Well, obviously you're going to estimate it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Based on what time period 12 months or or would it depend is it relative to to circumstances yeah it well it depends on the price point of your product it depends on the cost for that customer not only the cost of acquisition but then what are you providing as a service if you're providing a if you're providing a very low margin product you know that you need a much longer period of time to make up all of the customer acquisition costs you know, like like for example, if you're selling razors, right, mm-hmm. and your your cost is two dollars for the product, and you're selling it for four dollars, then if it costs you thirty dollars to acquire a customer, you have to have that customer on average for what is that fifteen months, months. just just to make back the you know the acquisition part before you even get into the profit. Hmm. So, you know, you see how it it really does depend. And then that didn't even include churn rate. Hmm. Right? You should assume some churn rate. And there are lots of good websites out there to give, you know, some numbers. It really depends on the price point of the product, you know, how much your cost is and some other factors, but you know, as a general rule, I mean, you should be looking at a very low percentage, single digit percentage of of churn if possible on an annual basis mm. because otherwise the churn basically especially as you scale you lose so many customers on a monthly or annual basis that you can't acquire new ones fast enough to fill in and you plateau it creeps into to, to growth basically churn eats into growth and then you have to go you know much higher than growth by acquiring new customers and that's dependent on customer lifetime value yeah, it's it's a circle. Very very interesting. <laughs> what about so um, traditionally? A lot of our listeners are e-tellers, or you know, um, related to some online retail business or the other. And um, the holy grail, apart from traffic, is what are our conversion rates? What are our initial conversion rates? How does conversion rate CR 
you know, um, come into? How important is it, especially initial conversion rate in, in, in subscription e-commerce? Well, like we talked about earlier, I think conversion rate, it's, very, it's important, of course. It is important. In isolation, it's very important. Mm-hmm. But from a holistic perspective, it's only part of the story, mm. right? So like, like I mentioned earlier, you, know, you want to have a high conversion rate or as good a conversion rate as possible, but you need to balance that with the lifetime value you know, of your customers so that you can start to calculate and look at the numbers to make sure that you're optimizing your business. So you know, it's hard to say sort of you know, in a very specific case what that conversion rate should be. But again, I would go back to if you have a high conversion rate and those customers that you're getting to convert because you know, you're giving them discounts and maybe you're, yeah, you're, just, you're not getting the, the customers that really want your product. You're not showing them the right value for your product. They're going to churn out quickly. And so you'll have a much lower first rebilling event which basically means you have a high churn rate and that's not going to be good for your business. Right. Okay. Okay. So CLV really ties into having that long-term relationship, which can only be fueled by value in, in general. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. So um, I think my questions about subscription e-commerce are pretty much there. I have a question in regards to your favorites e-commerce subscription business is like your top five you're, you're seeing that um really interesting in in, in in not just their offering but um their growth uh, i think from my perspective what i really like are freemium models okay and this again gets a little bit more digital but i love the concept of freemium models because if you think about that business in general you're essentially giving something away for free mm-hmm. but then and, and there should be some value with it. But then as soon as you're, you're able to convince people that you're able to give more value if they give you money. And uh, a couple examples I would give are like LinkedIn and TripIt. Mm-hmm. So with TripIt, you know, you'd think on the one hand, if, if people aren't familiar with TripIt, it allows you to just store all of your travel arrangements in, and you get, the, you get access to them through uh, an app on your phone. So you don't have to write this stuff down. You never forget where you're supposed to be. You know, mm-hmm. you can always keep track of it. You can use it for free. But then they have, I think it's a $50 a month paid version where you can share this information with your friends and with your coworkers or mm-hmm. your family members. So they all can, they know you don't have to send them, oh, uh, yeah, I'm arriving on this flight time and this number. You know, can you pick me up? They have access to that information. They can pull it if they need to. Okay. LinkedIn offers it a lots of additional value that can be paid for in a subscription model, whether it's in mails to people you don't know, whether it's seeing, you know, who's looking at your profile, you know, being able to connect with other people that, that are beyond your initial connections. So freemium models in general I think are great because they can't be disrupted as easily as a normal business where in order to use the product you have to pay for it up front. Mm. Right? So that that to me is really I see that as being the big breakthrough in the last five years. LinkedIn particularly, have, it's been a feat what they've been able to do. To, to do. They're, they're the only social media platform that, that actually has payment options in, in addition to, to their core free service, I believe, with the exception of um, things like, I think, Path. I'm, I'm not quite sure, but I think they're the only major social media that has that um, you know, ability to pay for an extra premium feature. 
Okay. What about in in online retail? Uh, in in online retail in the states or the UK, uh, is is any one subscription business that you you think are really doing it well? And um, you know, our, our listeners should 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 check out. Well, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I mentioned earlier Trunk Club yeah. uh, here in Chicago. They got bought by Bloomingdale's. I was really surprised and impressed by what they did. I've I'd heard of them. I've never used the product, mm-hmm. but frankly, because they got bought and you know it, they got bought for so much, I was like, maybe I should actually be looking at this because it, it's sort of targeted at me. You know, somebody that doesn't want to shop necessarily for myself. I need some help. You know, <laughs> identifying what's the right thing to be. You know, fashionable. So you know that would be one I would say. Okay. Um, Trump. Yeah. Trump. Trunk Club, yeah, dot com. Trunk Club, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, now back to to Cleverbridge. You have established enterprise clients. Um, what about your 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 enterprise clients? You know, which of them are doing subscription digital commerce really well? I think that's a great question. You know, the from my perspective, we handle both B two C clients as well as B2B. Mm-hmm. And on the B2C side, I would talk about one of our clients, Malwarebytes. And what I really think that they're doing well is this is a company that they have great word of mouth. They have customers that are huge advocates for them. And they switched from a buy it once, use it for a lifetime, and they moved to a subscription model. And what they did was they did a lot of great things up front to let their customers know, hey, we're not abandoning you. We're not just, you know, this isn't just a money grab, but we're providing lots of service and we need to be paid for that. We're providing lots of value. Mm-hmm. And so they did a lot of uh, giveaways when they did the conversion. They, did, they were very upfront and transparent with their customers. And, you know, they've, they've just done a great job with messaging, mm-hmm. with being human as part of the, the company kind of motto or, you know, like I said, transparent. And so they have very, very high conversion rates because of it. They have very low refund rates. They have low chargebacks. They have low cancellation rates because they were really upfront and they are very transparent with their customers. So that's a very important part, I think, if companies are trying to or want to increase the lifetime value. You know, this is, I think, kind of a good lesson that you should really think about being as transparent as possible. And again, provide the most value you can and your customers are going to hopefully see it and they're going to keep paying for your product. And then on the B2B side, the example, you know, I mentioned VMware earlier. They're a client of ours. You know, they've gone through a process of, they work through the channel. So they mm-hmm. sell a lot of their products through channel, channel partners. And what happened was, or what happens is that they, you know, I, I talked about maintenance renewals earlier, how customers would sign up for a maintenance renewal for one year. And it's a pretty expensive price point, you know, in the, in the four digit range or even more, five-digit range. And basically what happened is every year they had to go back to these customers to get them to pay again. And what VMware did as, as a, a project, a major project within the company was they said, you know what, we, wanna, we need to get a better handle on this and we need to create some more reliable revenue so that it's not so much a very um, you know, one-off, high-touch model with every customer in order to get them to pay again. So they did a they created a self-service option and they did a lot of back end work. And basically what what happened is they've seen a, a, a very measurable increase in their revenue from the entire package of maintenance renewals, not necessarily only through online, but also through their offline because of some of the enhancements that they provided mm. uh, as part of the project. So they they did a really good job 
in this subscription model here of doing it in a B2B world, which can be more tricky. Mm-hmm. It seems a recurring theme you know, across some of the examples you, you gave is the, the additional value and then communication, communicating that value to and being human generally to, 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 to your customers. Yeah, with sites like G2 Crowd and some of the mm-hmm. other ones where you can go in and get online renews, re- reviews of business products, mm-hmm. it's so easy as a business buyer to find out what's going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Five, 10, 15 years ago, you were very reliant upon you know, your friends and just your friends generally, right? Mm-hmm. So, and this was actually something else I wanted to mention too. You know, if companies are thinking about doing subscription commerce, one a really good source of finding you know independent information would be go to industry analysts like IDC or Forrester or Gartner. Mm. They have a, a good way of they have a high level understanding of the different options and they can guide people very quickly to sort of the the best options. So that companies are getting a, a trustworthy partner, a tr- trustworthy opinion, but cutting through some of the marketing noise that happens out there in the market. Sounds good. Sounds good. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, we'll call this a wrap. So it's been a pleasure having you on the show, Craig. And um, thank you for sharing your insights on subscription commerce. Thank you very much, Kunli. It's been actually a lot of fun for me as well. Hope to do it again with you. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of 2X e-commerce. To help you get more actionable insights and e-commerce growth hacks that will help you 2X your online retail business, hop over to 2xecommerce.com. It's a blog dedicated to e-commerce and multi-channel marketing run by the show's host, Kunle Campbell. 2xecommerce.com is packed full of articles and guides to help increase traffic to your store, increase repeat purchases, and average order value. Thanks for listening. Visit 2xecommerce.com.